as Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he gets to the place where he asks or he just flat tells her, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who it was that was asking you to give them a drink of water, you would ask and he would give you living water. Now, this is uh, the uh, uh, the main thing I'm going to be looking at, but I need to give you a little bit more scriptural background. I want us to be looking at that place where Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and you knew who it was talking to you, you'd be asking for living water. But it begins, this theme in this particular passage begins back in the 17th chapter of Exodus. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. We're just going to read Exodus 17, 1 through 7. The children of Israel are wandering around in the desert. It says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? A little more and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? May God add the, his blessing to the reading of his word. So we have three passages we're considering this morning. The first in Exodus, and then our responsive reading is the second, Psalm 95. In the passage in Exodus, we see that the people needed water. They'd been led out there by God. They grumbled. They got upset. And uh, Moses was afraid that they were about to stone him because they were just getting so ugly. And so the Lord tells him, you just take some of the elders and you go to this place and you stand and, and I will stand before you and you strike the rock and water will come forth. And so Moses did this. I want you to notice this. The people re were rebelling against God. He should have smitten the people, but instead he had the rock smitten. And whenever the rock was struck, water came forth. In Psalm 95, God is referred to as what? The rock of our salvation. 
And then we read on in uh, uh, David refers to him as the rock of our salvation. And then in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 1 through 4, Paul makes it clear that that rock was a representation of Jesus. In fact, he just flat says, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, getting back to the fact that the people grumbled and were rebelling, and instead of smiting the people, he had Moses, the representative of the people, smite the rock. There we see grace, and there we see mercy. Now, if you'll recall, I've told you all this before, but grace is when you get goodness that you don't deserve. And that's what the people got that day. They got water. They needed water, but they deserved something else. Mercy is when you don't get something that you, something bad that you do deserve. And so the people of Israel were granted grace and mercy that day. And this rock was a symbol of Jesus. The rock was smitten and the water came forth. I think it's just amazing that uh, we see Jesus is the rock. And then in Isaiah, we see that he was smitten that he was uh, bruised for our sins, that uh, the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. It's the same, you see, it all ties back to the rock. The rock was stricken so the people could be spared. Our Lord, whenever he is sitting there with that lady, and I'm sorry, that woman, we won't call her a lady, when he was sitting there with that woman at the well, he said, if you knew who, was, who you were talking to, you'd be asking for living water. There were a couple of things that she didn't know. Now, he's talking now to a Samaritan woman. And, and Joan, uh, she started reading earlier last week's scripture passage where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. I mean, just back to back, just one chapter away. First of all, uh, Jesus has a private conversation with a Pharisee, an extremely religious person who is trying real hard to do what God wants him to do. And yet he knows that something is missing. And now then he's talking to a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were... Very interesting. You see, there was a time when uh, the Syrians invaded Israel and uh, they, they deported all the people in Samaritan, or, or the biggest part of the people, the uh, aristocracy and all, those sorts of people, the well-to-do people were deported and taken out of Samaria. The Jews were taken out and then they brought other people from other countries in, in their place. Now, there were uh, Jewish people that were just the poor and hard workers. They were left there. But uh, 
the uh, Syrian uh, king wanted order, and they just didn't seem to be able to get any order there. And so he took the priests and uh, the prophets that he had deported from Israel, and he brought them back to Samaria to teach these foreigners in Samaria how to be good Jews. But they changed, they changed the scripture a little bit. They changed the place of worship from Jerusalem to where they were. And so this is why you see this Samaritan woman who is looked on as a mongrel as far as her race goes, and she's a woman. Uh, this woman, who obviously we see later, she has had five different men involved with five different men in her life. She is one that has a sense of religion. She knows about the uh, uh, the place to have there's a division as to where they should worship and things like that. Nicodemus, he was religious in one way. Uh, he was religious in kind of a church lady way that knows all the rules and everybody's supposed to do this and do that. And then here's this Samaritan lady who's of the sort of an ilk of religion that's kind of like, uh, I'm just trying to think of a good example. You know the song, I didn't know God made honky-tonk angels. You know, well, that's kind of the other extreme. There's a sense of religion and a, 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 a nomenclature that goes along with it. But both Nicodemus and this woman at the well were missing something that Jesus knew that they needed. Now, something else about this woman uh, that I, I want to bring, bring up is the fact that uh, she w was looking for something. She thought, apparently, that she was going to find it in a man. And she kept just going through men, trying to find the answer, trying to find. And really, it was that God-shaped hole in her heart that she was trying to fill. She was trying to get people to fill a, a void that only God himself could fill. But she just kept trying to look for the right one. And we see people today just go through one person after another, trying to find peace in life and being disappointed over and over and over again. Have you ever noticed that she was kind of flirty with Jesus at the beginning? Did you know that? You know, if you, I don't know if you've ever seen that because whatever he asked her for a drink of water, she says, why are you asking me for a drink of water? Since I'm a Samaritan and you're a woman and you're a Jew, you know, but it, it's kind of like she was hoping that he was interested in her because there was something about him and she was interested in him. She was drawn to him, but she was putting one label on what she thought that she needed and she thought it was the right man. And I'm sure that Jesus gave her a sense of security gave her a sense of just uh, being accepted for who she was. All those things that she was looking for in life, they were there in this man that was before her. She needed something. Nicodemus needed something. 
And in both cases, Jesus was the answer. And he just flat says, first of all, if you knew the gift of God. Now, what is the gift of God? The short answer is eternal life. But there's so much more to it than that, isn't there? So much more to it. It's uh, it, Whenever you receive the gift of God, like last week we were talking about being born of the Spirit, the second birth, whenever you receive that, you wind up having a peace that passes all understanding. You find satisfaction in life. You don't have to be looking anymore because you haven't found it. You have found him. And in him, you find what you really need to be at peace in this life. So he said, if you knew the gift of God, she would know that that is what she was really looking for. And then he goes on and he says, if you knew who it is who says to you, give me a drink, who was this that was talking to her? If she really knew who he was, she'd be so excited. It was, I was thinking about that. It reminded me about the, uh, there were, Paul Newman, I think it was, was out doing something and a fan spotted him and runs up to him and says, D -d 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 do you know who you are? You're Paul Newman. And uh, the thing is, she was, he or she, I think it was a woman, was so excited that uh, she got it kind of turned around. Well, Jesus knew who he was, but she didn't know who he was. And But then it began to dawn on her and it got to the point to where she asks other men, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the king, the king of kings? that we have been looking for and that the Jews have been looking for. We're all looking for the Messiah. Could this be the one? And then they all come out and they ask him to stay with him. And he stayed two days there. And a lot of people came to know the Lord through him. Well, the thing is, she needed grace. She needed mercy. She wasn't living a good life. Nicodemus needed grace. Nicodemus needed mercy because he was on the wrong track. He was pursuing religion instead of God. So uh, we wind up, he is the one that we need. He's the giver of living water. He is, as we talk with the kids about the bread of life, he is the breath of life and he is the light of the world. And he's so much more than that. Dr. S.M. Lockridge, back, I think, in the, uh, was in the early 60s or late 50s, described who Jesus was in a sermon, Do You Know My King? And I'd like to share what Dr. Lockridge said. He said, My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. 
He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of every good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the mighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Well, My king is a king of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princesses. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. That's my king. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible and he is irresistible. I'm coming to tell you this, that the heavens 
of heavens cannot contain him. Let loose or let alone some man explaining. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He's always been and he always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he had no predecessor. He'll have no successor. There's nobody before him and there's nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Well, that's Dr. Lockridge's king. It's my king. And he is your king, whether you accept him as your king or not, because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And this one who is so mighty, so indescribable, sat there with a woman who had a need, and he had the answer to her need. And he said, if you knew, you'd ask. And that's all you have to do. What are you facing this morning? What is it that you need in your life? It may be on one end of the spectrum. It may be on the other. Whatever it is, the Lord is sufficient. No matter what you're facing, no matter what your fears, and a lot of people have a lot of fear this morning. They're afraid of something you can't even see. They're being driven by things that... uh, uh, or are hard to even comprehend. Well, whatever it is, he says his grace is sufficient. If you feel like you don't deserve it, the people of Israel didn't deserve water. Nicodemus didn't deserve salvation. The woman at the well didn't deserve it, but it was offered and it is still offered today. He is the one Whenever he began his ministry, he took the scroll of Isaiah. And if you recall, he read there in that scroll, he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And basically, you can sum it all up. He came to free us from our past so we could live in the present and look forward to the future. And the passage is is in Isaiah the 53rd chapter. Now, the passage I'm looking for is Jesus took the scroll of Isaiah and he read from the beginning. But that's just it. You see, Jesus knew the whole of Isaiah. He knew the whole thing. And he knew where it was written. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Do you see that? The rock was smitten. The rock was afflicted. Jesus knew he was going to be smitten, and he was willing to take the blows so that God's grace would flow 
living, living water would flow for you and for you and for you. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening or the punishment for our well-being, and that word that's translated here, well-being, is the word shalom, which means, it's the Hebrew word peace, which means peace in every aspect. Peace with your surroundings, peace with your God, peace with the people around you, peace in life and freedom. He bore it all. And is he sitting there? And she doesn't even know who she's talking to. He knows what he's going to be doing for her. We know what he has done for us. And he says, all you have to do is ask. If you knew what the gift was, and if you knew who was offering it, you would ask. So whatever your fear is today, whatever your dilemma is today, the message of the hour is grace and mercy abound. Jesus paid the price. All you have to do is ask. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that even if we feel like we don't deserve anything, you say, that's okay. Maybe you don't. But I took care of anything that there might be between you and my father. I paid the price and I'm here. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would just help us to avail ourselves of your outstretched hand this day in whatever area we need it, whether it's to cast out fear or to bring protection. We pray thee that you would bring those things in our lives in Jesus name. Amen.